Welcome to Financial Discretion Advised. I'm Abram Berkemeyer. I'm Tyler Hafford. Let's cue the music. Hey, Tyler, how's it going? Hey, Abram. How is it going? We're in different offices today. Yeah, a little remote podcast. It's going remote. well. Picked the bucks last night. So, uh, geez. That. all right, all right. Let's tell the, the anyone listening. I am a Cowboys fan. I'm getting that out there. I feel like I should acknowledge it and all the pain that comes with that. Uh, but uh, you know, we came up short, and there's no moral victories. So and today is a is a down day for me. And, and now we've gotten that out of the way, Abram, so we can get on to more important things. Yeah. All right. So we're going to start out this podcast just with a little bit of the in the headlines before we move into our topic of the day, which is just going to be some questions that we've received over the past month that might apply to anyone. So uh, yeah. we're going to be answering those for folks today. Uh, but to start in the headlines, um, we are recording this on September 10th. So just everybody probably knows that tomorrow, September 11th, is the 20th anniversary of uh, 9-11. Yep. And so obviously just want to, you know, our hearts go out to everybody, anybody that, any Americans that lost family that day and, and all the all the brave firefighters and emergency service folks that, you know, ran into the into the towers on that day to, to help save other Americans' lives. Um, so a little bit of remembrance coming up tomorrow. Yep, yep. Um, but back to finance news in the headlines, we had the August jobs report and that was a bit of a big miss. Um, we added 235,000 jobs to the economy when we were expected to add 750,000. So pretty, pretty big miss there. Yeah. Obviously we've had a lot of mixed jobs reports over the past couple months. Um, but I'll kick it over to you, Tyler, to the other thing that happened in the news that might help grab some more, more jobs and keep ticking. Yeah. yeah. Anyone who listened to our, in the, in the headlines podcast, heard us talk a little bit about that jobs report. Uh, a big miss there. It's like, it's like if I went to do a math equation and, and that was the answer I came up with <laughs> 700,000 was what they were looking for. Um, yeah. So a big miss, but what we saw is a ending of the unemployment benefits. So that, uh, kind of the coronavirus recovery bill um, bills put out these extended uh, increased unemployment benefits for folks. Those came up uh, early September. So I think that was the sixth yeah. uh, those ended. And we saw a uh, promising kind of reports on unemployment in the country. It, it seems like uh, folks might be trying to, to find a place to work, um, which is which is great. There's still close to, I think I'm hearing numbers between one and 3 million more jobs out there than people looking for work. Um, but hopefully this is a trend up uh, as folks kind of get, get back out there and get into the workforce. Yep. So why don't we get into our questions of the day? I'm um, going to start out with a couple of, couple of housing questions to start and they're tax related as well. Um, so this first one, uh, I'm single. I sold my primary home and have more than 250,000 in capital gains. I have about 500,000 total. Um, can I 1031 exchange uh, the sale of my primary residence into a new primary residence? And if so, what are the rules? Are they the same as commercial 1031 exchanges? So let's, let's unpack this a little bit before we dive into the answer of this question. There's a couple of things that 
was mentioned in this. Um, they they said that they had more than two hundred fifty thousand dollars in gains on their house. Why that's important? Uh, if you are uh, filing single, if you you know you're not uh, a married couple, and you sell a home, and you have two hundred fifty thousand dollars in gains on that home, so more than you purchased it for, uh, you have an exemption on on gains tax there, uh, so you don't have to pay taxes on that two hundred fifty thousand. If you were married, uh, you could have up to $500,000 in exemption there um, on any gains on the property. So important that that was brought up. Now that is just on your primary residence. A 1031 exchange, you can take an investment property and exchange it for another investment property, something similar, like another rental property in, within the state or another state. If you do it within timelines, you have 45 days to identify a new property, you have 180 days to close on that property. Uh, you can defer that tax burden uh, down the road. And, and what they're asking here is, all right, I have my primary home. I'm selling it. I'm going to have all of these gains above my exemption. Can I do that 1031 exchange? Yeah. And the answer on this one's pretty clear, pretty concise from the IRS. And the answer is going to be no. The 1031 exchange is only for commercial properties or investment properties. Um, clearly excludes primary residences. Um, yeah. so you wouldn't, wouldn't be able to, to defer that extra $250,000 in gains that you have above your exclusion amount into the new primary residence. Um, so are the rules the same as the commercial 1031 exchanges? No, they just aren't. The rules just don't apply. Um, so that, that last question doesn't really apply either. And just a little side note here for folks on personal property like this, you can be taxed on any gains on that personal property. You cannot deduct losses. So if this was a question where she has had a, a loss, right? she purchased a home and she's going to be taking a loss here, can't deduct that on your taxes. Um, that's a little bit different than like an investment property or something like that. Yeah. Good ad, good ad in there. All right. Next question. Um, also related to selling a house. Um, I am planning to sell my house and we'll have a good sum of money. I may need to use that, those proceeds the next year or two. Where should I invest it? Should I invest it in the markets at all? Uh, this answer is pretty, pretty clear and cut to me. Typically the rule of thumb is that if you're going to need to use the money within five years, don't invest it in the markets. Um, that time frame kind of goes back to 2008 where, you know, we had the, the market declined and then it took from took five years in total to get back up to breaking even. Um, so if you, if you have a five year, less than a five year time frame and you put it in the markets, then maybe you just get super unlucky and the market declines and then you don't have the money there when you need it. Um, so typically like to hold money that you need on the short term or your ultra short term, one to two years in just a high yield savings account. Yeah. It's not that sexy. Yeah. You're not going to make a lot of money. Um, but it's going to be liquid. It's going to be safe. And there are other investment vehicles out there where you can get a little bit more of a yield um, than just say your, your regular credit union or regular bank account. So um, any high yield savings accounts you like to use Tyler? Um, yeah. I mean, I think they're all, they're all pretty good. You have ally Marcus, I think capital one, three sixty. those, all those are going to give you a pretty competitive rates on that, but I'm with you here. Um, if you're going to be using your money in the short term like that, keep it away from the market. Um, you know, if you need it, you would hate to see a market decline and have to pull out uh, of the market and take those losses. So 
just like just like you said, AB, we want short-term high yield savings accounts. We want maybe CD strategies that are gonna, uh, you know, have durations that uh, allow you to get your money out in the time that you need it. Trying to squeeze a little bit of yield out of there, um, but geez, risk in the market is, is almost rolling the dice there, and you don't want to do that with money you're gonna be needing. So, um, yep, no, keep it away from the market. All right. Next question. What are the pros and cons of putting all my money into the market at once versus a dollar cost averaging strategy? Yeah. Um, so we can unpack this too. Dollar cost averaging strategy is taking a set amount of money on a, on a certain timeline and consistently putting it in the market instead of saying, all right, I have all my money. I'm just going to shove it in the market and see what happens. Um, pros and cons to, to using that strategy. Uh, the pros are, um, you know, you remove the emotional, when should I get in question? Um, you, you are just doing it uh, across a certain time frame, no matter what the market's doing up, down or, or anything in between. Um, it allows you to potentially get a lower buy-in price. If, uh, we're seeing dips in the market, um, from, from when you're buying in certainly some cons to it too, though. I think when we look at uh, outperformance of both strategies, the dollar cost averaging sometimes doesn't win out in that, right? We see higher returns when someone just kind of puts all the money in. The, the downside of putting all your money in is that you don't know when the next market crash is coming and it could be uh, tomorrow and you put the money in and everything takes a tumble. So I do think there's some pros and cons to those strategies. I think uh, a dollar cost averaging strategy is a solid one and one to explore. Um, again, removing that question of when should I get in? Well, let's get the money working and we'll, we'll buy in at different intervals. And if the market's up, we'll buy in then. If the market's down, we'll buy in then. Um, hopefully we'll end up with a lower buy-in price. Yeah, yeah. And just it takes that timing risk out of the equation where you put your money all in at once, then you're subject to whatever happens right after that. Whereas with the dollar cost averaging strategy, you know, if the market's high and you're buying in and it keeps going higher, that's great. You're earning money. You're just earning a little bit less than you could have if you put it all in, but overall you're going to continue to make money. And if the market drops off and say, we see a market correction, you could accelerate your dollar cost averaging strategy. You know, an opportunity might arise that you couldn't foresee. You know, there are true black swan events in the market. We saw one in 2020. Uh, yeah. And if you're in the dollar cost averaging strategy versus dumping all your money in all at once, then you can take advantage of that event that happens, say, three months down the road that you, no one ever would have ever seen coming because you actually have money on the sidelines because you didn't put it all in all at once today. So really good point allows you to be nimble and you can kind of change up your strategy as you go along. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you put that lump sum in, uh, it's in there and, yep. and subject to whatever happens. Yep. All right. Uh, so this next question kind of has to do with a uh, little bit of legacy planning and a, a lot of uh, just more like mechanics of withdrawing money. Um, so one of the big questions that, you know, folks have in households is, you know, if something happens to me, what happens to my spouse? How is my spouse going to get going to get income from our our portfolio. So this is, this is one thing that we deal with routinely as, as advisors is, you know, when we're managing assets for uh, a household, we kind of take that, that onus off of either one of the spouses to manage the withdrawals. We do that for them um, and, and help them with their distributions from their retirement accounts. So yep. in this case, 
the question was, you know, if something were to happen to me, uh, what is the procedure for my spouse to get money out of out of our accounts um, so that I know that they're taken care of when I'm gone? Yeah. Um, and there is a couple other little follow-ups there, you know, um, you know, can she, can the spouse simply call in and say, Hey, send me X amount of money every month. Um, what's the process like? And, and then some questions about RMDs, which we'll tackle as well. Yeah. But yeah, I think it's generally pretty straightforward. Um, typically what we like to do is, yeah, if, if, a, if you have a retirement account, say it's a traditional IRA, Roth IRA, even if it's a non-retirement account, if it's just a joint account, when you work with an advisor, you can, it's like, like our firm, you can call us up anytime and say, Hey, I need a withdrawal and we're going to help you through the tax implications, um, of, of those withdrawals. And, and if there's any, if there's any tax considerations and then hopefully just send you money straight to your bank account, like a, like a, like a paycheck. Um, so you can do that on a one-off basis, but ideally what we're doing is, is helping that spouse find their retirement needs while you're gone. You know, maybe, maybe household costs are, are lower because you don't have to buy as many groceries and, or maybe you're not using as much hot water, electricity or heat. Um, so maybe, maybe some of the living costs have gone down and helping them identify that and then getting them set up on a routine distribution from their account. Uh, Yeah so that we know that their, their needs are met every month and they don't have to worry about, you know, calling, calling their advisor and making sure that they, they get a, another a lump sum into their, into their checking account that they can go spend every month. Yeah. I'm going to take a moment here and I'm going to bang the table. I know that you don't like when I bang the table cause it screws up the, the camera, but I'm going to bang the table, check your beneficiaries. If you have a retirement account, the beneficiary on that account will act like a will substitute. And it will skip the probate process. So if, if I have a retirement account and Abram is listed on there and I die, Abram just has to call, provide proof that I'm dead. Uh, so get that death certificate and the money will be shifted into Abram's name and he can take the money out immediately. He doesn't need to uh, play the game and doesn't have to go through the court system. So if you have a retirement account, please go and check who the beneficiary is on that account. It is one of the most important and cheapest estate planning things that you can do. Uh, in this case, um, Abram would be able to just call in, say, I need all of Tyler's money, uh, put it in my name, and uh, I'm going to go buy a boat. And, and that's all you'd need to do. So I, I apologize for banging on the table. If you take one thing out of our, our podcast today, check the beneficiaries. Yeah. And when it's, a, when it's your spouse is your primary beneficiary. Um, especially for a traditional IRA, they can, that money just goes directly into their name and becomes their account. Um, and, and they, and then the, any future RMDs, since RMDs were a question as tagged onto this, any future RMDs would be based on, on that spouse. Yeah. Why don't we unpack the RMDs right now? I know we're going to do it later, but RMD required minimum distribution. Um, you made contributions into a retirement account, qualified account throughout your life. Uh, you were getting tax breaks every time you did that uh once you turned it's now 72 um which has been upped from the original 70 year old uh rmd but once you hit 72 uncle sam comes knocking and says you gotta take some money out um the way they figure that out is they take the value of your account uh at year end prior you know the prior year and divide it by a number that's associated with your age so every year you get older that number changes um, and they're going to tell you to take a percentage of your money out. 
the the reason why that's important when you pass away and someone else receives your uh, your accounts is that if your spouse gets it, it essentially becomes their account and the RMDs will work off of their age and their values. If someone other than your spouse receives that uh, inherited IRA or, or retirement account, they have 10 years to get the money out of the account um, and, have, and take the taxes on it. So important how people understand the RMDs, but uh, required minimum distribution is what, we're, what we mean with, with RMDs. Um, and, and, you know, it's just, it's just the government saying that we gave you that tax break, but we're not giving it to you forever. Another big thing here, you're going to want to take your RMDs. Um, a lot of people don't want to take their RMDs because they'd rather get it in there. If you don't take that RMD out by December 31st, they're going to tax 50% of the money that you were supposed to take out of the account. Uh, so if you had to take uh, you know, $5,000 out, that's going to be a $2,500 tax penalty for leaving that money in there. Additionally, something for people who are just turning 72. So I just turned 72. When do I have to take my RMD? You have till April of the, of the following year to take the first one. Everyone else and every other RMD after that, the end of the year, it's a big one. Don't forget it. Mark your calendars. If you're working with an advisor, mark their calendars. I know that <laughs> Uh, you know, around November, Abra and I will start going through the list of our, our folks that need RMDs and, and reach out and say, hey, you're going to want to take these. But big one, make sure you're yeah, taking say, Your advisor should be all over that um, with helping you take those RMDs, especially if that's something that you're worried about, you know, leaving a surviving spouse behind. And, you know, if they're not handling the, the household finances, that an RMD might be something that slips their brain, knowing yep. that knowing that the advisor is, is in control and knows that they're going to need to take an RMD if, if anything happens to you. Um, you know, it's another one of those peace of mind aspects to, to helping somebody with their, with their assets after one of the, one of the people in the household is, has gone. Yeah. Um, so that's nice and morbid, but you know, it's an, it's an important topic uh, that needs to be covered and, and a common question, you know, people want to make sure that their, that their spouses are taken care of and that their family's taken care of when they pass. So um, kind of going straight into some more RMD questions here uh, when it comes to 401ks and 403bs. Um, let's see. There are RMDs at 70, now 72 question mark. That's correct. So RMDs used to be at actually age 70 and a half was the kickoff point. The year you turned 70 and a half, you had to take it by April 1st of the following year, um, as Tyler already said. And then now that has been moved up to age 72. Um, so that's good. You know, you get an extra year and a half that you don't have to take money out of the account and allow that to defer uh, tax-free growth. Now, however, if you're 71, you are required to continue making RMDs, even though you're under the new 72. Right. Yeah. So you don't get, you don't get grandfathered. Right. And if you, if you, well, you do get grandfathered and if you already started taking RMDs, you have to maintain your regular schedule. Um, and, and when I said that you get to leave the money in there and it gets to grow tax payment, it gets to grow tax deferred. Um, yeah. Whereas you don't have to pay taxes until you take the money out of the 401k or 403b. Yep. Slight correction there. All right. And remember your RMD or anything coming out of the IRA, it's going to be taxed as income. So yep. it's going to be taxed like you've made that money in that year. So uh, no capital gains on the IRAs, uh, just tax your income rate. Yep. 
And Chris, and this is great. Tyler already explained this next part of the question. Um, let's see, they, they have a spreadsheet here that details how much needs to be removed based on the IRS worksheet. And like Tyler said, that IRS worksheet, you just take your year end balance from the prior year and then look up your age and divide that balance by that that number and that arrives you at your RMD for the year. So you can do it manually. Luckily, a lot of the custodians these days will calculate your RMD for you um, since it is just a very simple formula based on your date of birth and, and how much was in the account on December 31st of the previous year. Um, so let's see. So my question is, how is this accomplished? Um, I assume this is something that you could transfer me, transfer to me uh, the required amount, say monthly. Is that correct? Um, so you have, you have a lot of different options there. You could decide to take your RMD out monthly. Um, you could decide to take it out once a year. Really, it's going to depend on your income needs. Some folks where we know we need to take money out of the account, we might just set up a systematic uh, withdrawal plan. Yep. Other folks that don't need the income from the portfolio, um, you still might set up a systematic withdrawal plan, whether it's you just want a little bit of money extra each month to take the RMD out by the end of the year, you could do that, or you could take it out as a lump sum. Um, one common strategy that I've seen, especially for folks that don't need the money is, you know, they might still want to keep the money invested, it just can't stay in that pre-tax account. So we take the money out, we pay the taxes on it, satisfy the RMD, and then reinvest that money in a, in a taxable account where you can continue to get growth on your investments. You just can't do it in the, in that pre-tax vehicle anymore. Yep. So same type of strategies here. If you want to keep it invested, just open up a brokerage account, move the money in there, keeps it in the market. You paid your taxes. Um, arguably you could do that at the beginning of the year. So any new growth would be held in that taxable account, not in the IRA, which would help you on next year's RMD. Um, but Yep. You can kind of set it up any way you, you want to. The big thing is getting the money out before the end of the year. Yep. And then the next question was, how do I withdraw from my 403B? Um, I assume whether I take 403B withdrawals before my required minimum distribution age or not, I'm still required to go by the required minimum distribution table. Um, the only difference is the amount required would be less uh, now that some has been removed. Is that correct? So actually, if you're before your required minimum distribution age, before age 72, you don't have to go by the table. You can take out as much money as you want from your 403B at any time, even after your required minimum distribution age. That's just the minimum you have to take out per the IRS. You could take out more than that whenever you want. So you're not limited or confined by that figure. And before that age 72 starts, you are not subject to, to that table. You could take out as much or as little as you want. So you could be $0. You could take out the whole kit and caboodle. Um, the only stipulation there is that might not be the best plan because <laughs> yeah. as we've been talking about uh, with these pre-tax retirement accounts, any money that comes out is going to be taxed as income. That's why the IRS is making you take money out in your later age um, so that you do pay taxes on it while you're living. It'd be a really interesting time to explore those Roth conversions. And if anyone doesn't know what that is, go back and listen to the podcast. But if you retired early, incomes dropped down, we're in a low tax bracket, might be time to take a few bites of the apple, move it out of the out of the retirement account into a Roth and make sure that that RMD is a little bit lower. Uh, yep. And the other beautiful thing about a Roth is that there are no RMD requirements on a, on a Roth IRA. Yep. Yep. Uh, one little trip up that people can have is with a Roth 401k, 
you do have uh, RMDs because you're in the 401k bubble where you're not in a Roth IRA. It's only Roth IRAs that aren't subject to RMDs. Roth 401ks are subject to RMDs. So that kind of, I think that kind of leads us to where you were going, Tyler, which is you have this 403b, you have this 401k, you're retired, you can take money out of it. Should we leave it in the 401k or the 403b? No, I'm not going to bang the table again because I don't want to break it. But if you're in a work account and you have the availability to roll it out to an IRA, almost 98% of the time, that is going to be a better strategy for you for a couple of reasons. One, within the work plan, you're kind of limited in your investment options, right? They're just giving you a few choices. you got to build out a portfolio. You roll it out to an IRA, you can invest in anything in the world. Um, that is going to help diversify, broaden your investment portfolio. It's going to help lower risk by being able to diversify a little bit better. Um, so th that's uh, one reason. The second reason is that it's going to make your life so much easier. With your work plan, you have a, a third-party custodian who's holding on to the money. You have to kind of put in paperwork through them. You're going to have to do signatures. Um, it's just going to be a little bit more of a hassle than if you have an IRA. If you're doing it yourself, click a button, ends up in your account the next day. If you're working with an advisor, you say, hey, Abram, I need you know my RMD. Can you send that to me? Abram says, all right, we're going to withhold taxes. We'll send it to you. Have it you know within a couple of days makes life much easier. But with the 401k uh, Roth problem that everyone was just describing, that you're going to have to take RMDs, roll that out to a Roth IRA um, and change the rules a little bit. Now you're not required to take money out. It's just going to grow tax-free. So um, I want to bang the table here. But if you if you have retired and you have an old work plan, get it out to an IRA. Talk to someone who can help you do that. There's no tax implications for doing that. Um, as long as you get it in, Within 60 days, if they send you a check um, into a qualified, you know, traditional IRA, uh, it's going to make your life better. Yep. And depending on the retirement plan, like you said, um, all these retirement plans have their own provisions. Some retirement plans do require fees to take money out of the account. So we run across this all the time and we do rollovers. So there might be a small $25, $50 fee. Those fees could also apply to distributions from your account. And, you know, if you're going to be taking monthly distributions of income, why pay that fee every time when you need to take a distribution, if it applies to your plan, not all plans, uh, does that apply to? So you'd have yep. to find print if you're thinking about leaving it, but you know, if it's in a traditional IRA, you know, typically you're, well, you're not paying any of those distribution fees just to process the, uh, the distribution. And just for folks who may be like, geez, I just want to go through the hassle. Like it's, it's there. It seems easy. That process, all it looks like, because um, I think it's good to kind of set expectations. You give your custodian a call, say I've opened up an IRA at X, Y, and Z uh, investment house um, and that I'd like to roll it out. And they're going to, they're going to give you some tax, in, you know, notice about it, letting you know that if you don't get the money in there in 60 days, it's going to be a taxable event. Um, but you have the right to roll it over. If you get it in that account, it's not going to be taxable, blah, blah, blah. But uh, what they'll do is they'll probably cut a check to you or the custodian in which it's going to. Um, you get the check, deposit it in that IRA, and, and it's done. So it's nothing to, it's not as complicated as you may think it is. Um, Certainly an advisor uh, can help you do that process, but um, you know, it's, it's something that you could easily take care of yourself and, and be done within, you know, seven to 10 days. Mm -hmm. Great point. All right. Last question. Hit me. 
do my Roth IRA contributions count against my 457 contribution limits? Oh, you're asking me. Uh, I hit you hard with that one, Tyler. Uh, no, they do not uh, count against your 457 contribution limits. The Roth IRA is going to be dictated by your income level. So if you're married, uh, filing jointly. If, you, if you're modified adjusted gross incomes, not what you're making, but uh, after adjustments is over $208,000. Can't contribute to a Roth. Um, well, you can't traditionally can contribute to a Roth. You could do a backdoor Roth, but that's a, that's a different podcast. Um, or if you're a, uh, filing single, if you're making over $139,000, can't contribute to a Roth. That's what's going to limit you from getting into a Roth IRA. Um, the contributing to a 457 uh, won't have an impact. Yep. Yeah. And yeah, neither impact each other at all. The Roth IRA is an individual retirement account. All the only thing you have to worry about is those income limits, or if you've contributed to a traditional IRA throughout the year, um, those are the only the only things that impact you when contributing to the Roth. Besides having the, you have to have the income to do it. Um, contributing to the 457 that has its own contribution limits, um, and that's based. That's an employer based plan. So you're going to just be subject to um, the 19,500 um, with a few exceptions. Once again, another podcast, but they don't, they don't counteract each other. You could contribute to say the full, uh, the full amount to the Roth IRA and the full amount to the 457. Uh, and neither of them are going to impact the contributions of the other or for any tax purposes. So you should be good to go. Yeah. And I think we're good to go because that was the last question. Yeah, those are good. Those are good questions. Anyone listening to this thinking, geez, I wish they would tackle something I'm having a problem with. Send us your questions, email us, write in the comments, anything like that. Additionally, we're going to try to do in the news on every podcast. So if you have headlines that have come up that you think that we should tackle, uh, happy to, to do that as well. Share this podcast, find us on any podcatcher, get on YouTube. Like, yeah uh tell tell your mom uh any any new listeners is is great we'd love to add them to add them to the following the foregoing content reflects the opinions of penobscot financial advisors and is subject to change at any time without notice content provided herein is for informational purposes only and should not be used or construed as investment advice or a recommendation regarding the purchase or sale of any security there is no guarantee that the statements, opinions, or forecasts provided herein will prove to be correct. Thank you.